Welcome to the Miracle Channel podcast. Every week, you'll hear powerful messages from world-renowned pastors that air on Miracle Channel, Canada's 24-7 Christian TV station. And if you want to watch more of their messages anytime you want, check out our online streaming service, Corco Plus. Follow the link in our show notes to create a free account in three simple steps. Today on the podcast, you'll hear a message from Levi Lesko. Levi Lesko is lead pastor of Fresh Life Church with locations in Montana, Utah, Oregon, and Wyoming. He is also a best-selling author of Through the Eyes of a Lion and I Declare War. And now, Levi Lesko will discuss how to prepare and strengthen yourself in order to face hardships in a fearless, confident way. And we'll unpack how our relationship with God in the present can set us up for success in future trials. Let's dive into the message. There's this elite group of firefighters that jump out of airplanes into fires that get started in hostile places. They're called the smoke jumpers. And I heard that their creed is do today what others won't, do tomorrow what others can't. So much of the success for hardship we face down the road is gonna come from what we do today and how we don't survive in difficult days coming down the road. We'll have very little to do with what happens in the moment, but what happens long before the hardship ever shows up. I think probably the worst time to do practice runs for a marathon, the worst time to train for a marathon would be when you're in the middle of one. My wife, Jenny, and I went through the grief equivalent, I guess you could say, of marathon, having to bury our second-born daughter, Linya. We called her Linya Lion. You know, there's not even a word for that. If a child loses their parents, they get called an orphan. If a husband loses their wife or a wife, the husband, they become a widow or a widower. But what do you describe a mom or dad as who's had to face the, the death of their child? I guess it's fitting that there isn't a word because what word could hold such horrors? And yet when the difficulty came, so much that we had done prior to the difficulty showing up was there in our hearts. So many times marriages don't last a child having to be buried. And yet by God's grace and with great thanks to all the foresight that his spirit led us to do by way of practice, we found strength in the trials. And today our marriage is better than it's ever been. In 2012, my wife and I were going through this Bible reading plan on our phones. And it's something I'd highly recommend to every married couple. Whether or not you actually get to have a great quiet time every day where you both sit down and spend five hours in prayer and then churn your own butter and then let the cows out. I, though, am doing good if we can even read the same thing on our phones and then have that to talk about. Well, I read in my reading plan in November of that year, 2012, this verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, and it went like this. Christ Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Maybe I've read that verse before, but when I read it on that morning, it was like I had never read it at, at all. It just like jumped out of my phone and grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me. 
And I remember being so blown away by this idea that Jesus destroyed death. Being that December was only a month away, I needed to figure out what verse we were going to put on this ministry Christmas card that went out to all the people in our church and family and friends across the country. Well, I sent 2 Timothy 1.10 to my assistant and said, hey, when that Christmas card goes out, I want everyone to know that Jesus destroyed death. Later, I told my wife, hey, I picked out a verse for that card. And she said, Levi, that's the craziest thing. This morning when I read 2 Timothy 1 and I read that verse, I thought that would be a great verse for our Christmas card. And we both just looked at each other in absolute amazement and for good reason. I mean, the verse is amazing, but it doesn't exactly taste like eggnog. When was the last time your Christmas card had the word death on it? Rumpa pum pum. Well, there was a snag at the printer and all the Christmas cards for our family and friends, they showed up in mailboxes across the country later than we anticipated. Matter of fact, most people received them on December 21st, the day after our family experienced death and were in need of this great power that Jesus offers. You see, on a Thursday night at about 10.30 p.m., our second-born daughter, Linya, Linya Lyon, started to have an asthma attack. Now, I've had asthma since the third grade, and normally it's not that big of a deal. But that night, it was different. When Linya started having this asthma attack, it quickly got worse and worse, and then all of a sudden, she wasn't breathing at all. Pretty soon, she's lying on the counter, and I'm doing CPR, and someone's on the phone with 911, and it's on speakerphone. I'm hearing them ask me, can I find a pulse? And I was having an out-of-body experience. God gave me the strength to stay calm, and I remember trying to do the chest compressions with the right frequency. My breath is filling up my baby girl's lungs, and somewhere deep inside my soul, I felt myself starting to panic. We, we had to load her up into the ambulance in the snow, and I remember our feet slipping, and we got into this, this ambulance, and we're driving to the hospital. I'm texting friends, asking them to pray. I'm, I'm, I'm calling out to God, and, and I'm watching these, these men work, and we get to this hospital, and the gurney's wheeled back behind a curtain, and they're working, and there's some doctors coming and going, and my wife and I are in the waiting room on our knees, just praying for the God who made the sun stand still to cause the, the, the sun to stop in the sky and not set. But that's not what happened. The doctor came in and apologetically head in his hands. He, he said, he said I, I'm so sorry. There's, there's nothing more than we can do. We pushed past him and, and, and went to the side of this, this, this table and we each held one of her hands and, and we begged for God to breathe life back into her. And there as we prayed, the sun set. No miracle, no mountains moved. We raised our hands in the air, Jen and I both, holding one of Linya's each, and we praised God. We said, God, you give and you take away. We offered Linya to you at her baby dedication. We said she would always be yours in our eyes. And so on this day, we commit her back to you. It wasn't too much longer after that, maybe a week and a half, when someone asked us to make one of a series of impossible decisions. They said, what do you want it to say on her tombstone? What do we want it to say? I don't want it to say her name. I hated the thought of her name being written in such a setting as that. I hated everything about the process of picking out a casket and, and leafing through catalogs and, and picking a graveyard out. But when my wife and I looked at each other, we knew what we would want it to say. 
God flooded deep into our soul with peace beyond understanding. The words that we wanted it to say that to this day are there. Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And I believe that in your life, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you've gone and what has happened, that God can sustain you with the same grace, with the same strength, and with the same resurrection power that has held my family in the midst of peace beyond understanding these now three and a half some years. You see, Jesus was born to destroy death. As weird as it might be that that was the verse we picked, that is what Christmas is all about. In 2012, I took a couple friends to see the new Spider-Man on Broadway play, Turn Off the Dark. It was all right, a little too much singing for my like, but at the end of the night, we came out of the building on Broadway and ended up in Times Square. And I was thinking as I looked back over my shoulder at the words, turn off the dark, and I had been mulling over the fact that I needed to write a sermon for our church to preach on Christmas Eve. And as I saw the words, turn off the dark, they rattled around in my head. They just got stuck a little bit because normally you would say, turn on the light. But then right as I was thinking about that, we ended up in Times Square where in the middle of the evening, all the lights and the advertisements and the videos and everything going off, I realized that the light in a very real sense was turning off the dark. And that hit me at that moment that Christmas is all about darkness being turned off. And that's actually what Hebrew says. Hebrew says Jesus came to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, we've dwelt in the shadow lands of fear of death our whole lives. We live in a world where everywhere you go, every time you turn on the news, every time you look around, there's sorrow. I would actually say that this world is a place that's full of sorrow upon sorrow. Matter of fact, that's exactly how Paul put it when he wrote the letter to the Philippians. He said, my friend Epaphroditus almost died. This is Philippians 2. He said, but Epaphroditus didn't die. God had mercy on him and me also so that I wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. And that is an interesting phrase. If you look into the original language, sorrow upon sorrow is usually a phrase that would be used in nautical settings to describe the vicious waves at a place with dangerous break. I remember one of my first times surfing, I'm paddling out, all of a sudden I found myself just caught and wave after wave was pummeling me and soon my board was, was coming at me and, and I was down and trying to find my way up, pulling my way up the leash and getting a breath just for the next wave to come. And that, Paul says, is what grief is like. It can just churn and get crazy and whip up into a storm, denial and anger and, 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 and rejection of any emotion, not wanting people around you. It, it can leave you feeling good one day, but then feeling bad for feeling good. It's sorrow upon sorrow. Now, some I know hearing this, what might be almost betrayed, but wait, wait a minute, Paul the apostle, said that if he had a friend die who's a Christian, he would have sorrow upon sorrow, a prolonged emotional sadness that would not go away easily or be quick to go through. Wouldn't you correct Paul maybe and say, Paul, don't you know that Epaphroditus is walking on streets of gold and eating fruit from the trees of life and 
moonwalking on the crystal lake, probably riding on his own personal unicorn. For the record, his sadness wouldn't have been for Epaphroditus, his sadness would have been for himself. I've never once been sad in this process as though I'm afraid what Linya is experiencing in heaven isn't grand. I know it is. I know that she's probably riding a horse down the beach and just, I know she's not sitting there wishing she could come back to this earth. She's rather excited for the day that her family gets to join her there. Our sadness though has been for us. The fact that we have to see her bicycle in the garage when we go on family bike rides and she's not riding on it. The fact that her bed remained unslept in when we were tucking the rest of the girls in. That she's not there with us at family meals and, 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 and to laugh and to play with and to get in trouble with her sisters. Here's what I've discovered and I want you to know. Hurting with hope still hurts. It stings, even though Jesus technically removed the sting from death. It hurts like hell, even when you're confident that they went to heaven. And I think it's important that you hear me say that to you because we do a disservice anytime we try and get people to rush through a process that will not be sped up and, and, and to put a nice face on an ugly thing as though to show that you're hurting, as to show that you have pain is somehow a betrayal to, of your faith in God. Let me tell you something. God doesn't begrudge you your tears or your sadness or your grief. Matter of fact, when he lived on the earth, he modeled it. In John chapter 11, his friend Lazarus died. Jesus would like crash at this guy's house when he was in town at Bethany, sleep on the fold-out couch, and Lazarus died. And Jesus was sad when he saw Mary and Martha crying, weeping at the tomb. The Bible says that Jesus wept, and then he groaned in his spirit. And the word for groan that he used is not a normal one. It's usually used to describe the angry snorting of an agitated horse. Now that probably messes with your gentle Jesus, meek and mild preconceptions. But Jesus wasn't just mad. He was mad enough to do something about it. And not just to raise Lazarus from the dead. That was awesome. Don't get me wrong, fully rad. And that's usually the miracle we want. That's the answer to prayer we want. We want the physical instant miracle. But know this. Jesus always viewed a physical miracle as a failure if it didn't get accompanied by a deeper eternal miracle. So raising Lazarus from the dead was fine, but what it did was it provoked the Jewish leaders in having to confront Jesus and nail him to the cross. And therein lies what he actually did in his anger raging against death. Jesus destroyed death in the most unlikely way ever. He died. Hebrews 2.14 puts it this way, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, the devil. As the son of David, Jesus defeated the devil the same way his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, King David, defeated Goliath. Now, I know we hear in Sunday schools a lot about the slingshot. David grabbed five smooth stones, and in his sling, he hurled one towards the Philistine in a field much like this, and the giant fell down. If you read the book of 1 Samuel carefully, you'll find that David did indeed knock the uncircumcised Philistine down. There's the first time in the series the word circumcised has appeared. He knocked him down with a stone, but then he went up to the giant and pulled Goliath's sword out of his sheath and cut his head off with his own sword. Now again, this does not make the cut when Sunday school curriculum is being developed. 
and for good reason. Can you imagine, little Billy? I'm gonna need more red and counseling, right? No, we don't tell kids that part, but David decapitated the giant and that's how he killed him, with his own weapon. How punk rock is that? But that's exactly what Jesus did. You see, it was death that came as a result of sin. And Jesus destroyed death by tasting death for us all because he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave on the third day, rendering grave defeated. He even has planned out his final victory chant. He's gonna say at the end of the day, oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades, where is your victory? How you like me now is the basic gangster translation of what he's gonna say when he kicks the devil's teeth in and causes every single person who has died in Christ to rise physically from the dead at his coming, Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life. Through the gospel, he turned off the dark. Now I understand if you might be going, hold on a second there, pal. Jesus has destroyed death. You're telling me death is destroyed. You're telling me it's been completely abolished. It's totally out of business. It's been run out of town. Then why do we still have to die? Good question. It's an interesting thing. If you look at that word in the Greek for destroyed, or as some translations put it, abolished, it's a very interesting word that describes a future event in the past tense. A future event hasn't happened yet in its full final implications, but it's so sure to happen that it can be referred to in the past tense as though it were already completed. What does that mean? Well, that means that when Jesus rose, death died. That was it for death. That was, that was the, the powerful mark. Now, the ramifications of that have not been carried out all the way. Isaiah in the book of Revelation talk about a day that is coming when he will swallow up death forever. There will be no more death. He will wipe every tear away from our eyes. I wanna give you a few ways as we wind this message to a close to turn off the dark inside your life whenever you see it. I guess you could say these are three different ways to make it through Saturday. S Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. It's in between Friday and Sunday. I think Saturday is the toughest stuff about being here on this earth, about waiting for darkness to get turned off forever. You might be confused. Saturday, Levi, is like the best. On Saturday, we make waffles. On Saturday, we ride the jet ski. We mow the lawn and sleep in the hammocks. Saturday, we ski. Saturday's amazing. No, I'm not talking about Saturday the day. I'm talking about Saturday the symbol. Jesus died on the cross on Friday, and he rose from the dead on Sunday. But on Saturday, the stone just sat there over the mouth of the tomb. Saturday, his body was cold, wrapped up in embalming fluid and strips. Saturday, he was very much not there with them to hug them, to, to live with them and to fill them with his spirit. Saturday, it's just this quiet space between, the space between promise and fulfillment. And you and I, all to some extent, live in a season of Saturday. It's different for each one of us. For you, Saturday could be just the chronic pain, the fact that your lower back always hurts. You've prayed for healing, you've believed God for healing, but it still lingers on. Saturday for me is not getting to live with my daughter, Lenya. I know one day I will. I know one day I'll be with her again, but not yet. Saturday is the empty seat at the dinner table. 
Saturday is the child who doesn't get to have a relationship with his dad because he was killed while serving his country overseas. Saturday is any difficulty we go through that God has not dealt with yet. He promises to, he will one day, but right now we're waiting. We're waiting and believing that Sunday is on its way and Sunday is coming. So how do you turn off the dark in your heart on Saturday? Number one, you need to learn to run toward the roar. To run toward the roar. Lions hunt in an interesting way. They will often, I'm told, send a few lions to hide in front of whatever they're hunting and to quietly wait. And then one lion, only pretending to sneak, comes up from the front with a direct attack and roars. Now, of course, a, ro a lion's roar is an intimidating thing. It can be heard for five miles off in the distance. And so when the lion roars like that, what does the little gazelle do? Well, first it wets itself, I'm sure, but then it runs away from the roar. Now, here's the tricky thing. The lion that is coming from the front is not as fast, does not have as much stamina, and cannot corner as quickly as what it's getting. So if the lion uh, that was coming towards the gazelle were to actually have to chase this thing in a dead sprint, it would lose almost every single time. But the little gazelle doesn't understand that or know that. It just hears a scary sound, so it runs away from the roaring lion towards the two lions he didn't know nothing about that just grab him as he goes by. The point is, even though it's counterintuitive, sometimes the best thing to do is to run towards what you're scared of and not away from it. And I believe that victory will come to you as you run toward the roar. What does that mean? Well, for Jenny and I and our family, it meant uh, being willing to face the, the death of our daughter head on and not numbing ourselves with narcotics, not you know, stupefying our senses with, with liquor, as tempting as that would have been, to not have to face it. We decided we were gonna hold this thing called grief to our breast, and we're gonna let it dump its venom straight into our veins. And if it kills us, it kills us, but we won't have to live in fear. We were gonna look at every picture, we were gonna watch every movie, we were gonna look at her clothes and not make a shrine and, and not be unwilling to face it, but we were gonna smell them and hug and cry over them and then wash them and put them in the closet so they'd be ready for her little sisters to wear. We were gonna run toward the roar and not away from it. And when it, in whatever way that means for you, perhaps it means staying at a job you feel like quitting. I mean, perhaps it means staying in your church even though you've been offended, even though you didn't get picked for the worship team. Not running away from things that scare you, but running towards them. The second way to turn off the dark is to remember to stick together. Lions are the only social cat. It's interesting, they're not solitary, they live in prides. They have 20, 25 other lions they do life with. And I believe that as you learn to grow in a grove, there's gonna be great power that comes from the pride. The Bible calls us the cedars of Lebanon and cedar trees grow in groves. Their root systems live together and mingle around each other. On Saturday, don't be caught alone. Make sure that you have the pride having your back, keeping your head up, encouraging you when life gets difficult. We found that in the emergency room, in our home, in the days and weeks afterwards, having God's people around us from our church was the greatest source of strength and help and encouragement. There should be people in your life positioned before difficulty comes who are ready to help you, to hold your arms up, and to encourage you. The final way that I would say you can turn off the dark in your heart on Saturday is simply to keep moving. I heard that sharks, they can only breathe as long as they're swimming. If they sit still for too long, they'll suffocate. And I think grief and suffocation, they kind of go together. 
if you don't keep swimming, you're not gonna be able to keep breathing. It'll be tempting just to pull the covers over your head and to never get up again. And there are some times when you feel the pain is so bad you can't possibly bear it for another moment. But let me say this, just keep moving. Just keep swimming. Now the spirit of finding Nemo is coming upon me. Just keep swimming, Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep moving. Just get up another day. Open your Bible up another day. I know it hurts so bad. You, you hardly think you could survive this. And you might be thinking, I just, I can't do it, Levi. And I just want to say the Holy Spirit's going to give you the strength just right now. Just do it one more time and one more time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next month. God's going to give you the grace for this hour and then the next one and then the next one, and then the next one. And one day, he'll finally turn off the dark forever, because Sunday will be here. It's not a day, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to hear more great messages from inspiring teachers like Levi Lesko. Rate this podcast and write a review if you haven't already. And share this message so others can be encouraged by this teaching too. So subscribe, rate, review, and share. We hope you were inspired by today's message. God bless.